Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The Biden administration getting a win, and they're allowed to cut down the razor wire in Texas. Oh, no, it's not a win for the country. It's just a win for them, for the administration that is completely deluded when it comes to the border and thinks that they've got the solutions. Well, so there is no question that our immigration system is broken. And so much so that we, as the first bill that we offered after our inauguration was to fix the immigration system, which included what we must do to create a pathway for citizenship Mm -hmm. and to put the resources that are needed into the border. But sadly, people on the other side of the aisle have been playing politics with this issue. The solutions are at hand. And, you know, gone are the days, sadly, where a President Bush or John McCain understood that we should have a bipartisan approach to fixing this problem, which is... May I just say for the record, Vice President Harris, that bipartisan would mean everybody giving a little and getting a little. Your view is you get everything, but your everything doesn't do anything. And since you're the party in power and the Republicans said we can't do that here, we have uh, HB2 over here, you're saying no to that. Isn't there a bit of a compromise that could at least get a couple of these programs, whether it be the technology piece or whether it be a humanitarian piece or whether it be the labor piece going? No, you want to talk about playing politics. You doing an interview about this with CNN is the politics. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. You get the podcast over there. Get the videos over there. All the good stuff over at TonyKatz.com. This administration is unserious about the border and talking points like this. But we should have a bipartisan approach to fixing this problem, which is a longstanding problem. But what are those solutions? The solutions include putting resources at the border to do what we can to process people effectively and putting in place laws that actually allow for a meaningful, meaningful pathway to citizenship. She said nothing, but the pathway to citizenship part is, of course, a non-starter. No, we don't give people in the country illegally a pathway to citizenship. And that is not how you deal with the border. You deal with the border by telling people you can't cross illegally, you stay out. And if we have to, we put up razor wire. This is what the Supreme Court just said that the United States can remove. It was a five to four vote. You had Chief Justice Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett voting with uh, the liberal justices saying that indeed this is up to the, 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 the president who decides immigration policy. Now, as a matter of just understanding of the, of the rules, I agree with this. I absolutely positively agree with this, that the president gets to decide border policy just like we said Trump gets to decide border policy. The fact that Biden has terrible border policy, that means we should elect somebody else. I actually like to take this philosophy and then apply it to the people who claim that Donald Trump can't take classified documents. Somehow he can't declassify the document. There has to be a system. There's no system. He's the commander in chief. He can declassify something just by talking about it, just by deciding it. How is that not the case? 
if the commander in chief can decide immigration policy by saying this is what is and this is what isn't, how is it possible the same thing can't happen with the classified document? The argument of should they, oh, I'll get into a whole should they thing with Taylor Swift. That's right. I've got a Taylor Swift story coming. Don't you judge me. It's excellent. I guarantee it or your money back. Wait, the show is free. Steal your money back. The president gets to decide border policy. And I think that to the extent I have all the facts right about this case, the Supreme Court is accurate. If I'm Texas, I keep going. Try something else. Do something else. Change something else. Maneuver something else. Force the administration to recognize their failings. Uh, uh, Joe Biden finally admitted that the border is not secure. Where's the, where, the Republican Party should be all over this, pushing their legislation and forcing Chuck Schumer to vote on it. All over it. But to listen to Kamala Harris talk about the border and not give a policy, because she doesn't know a policy, because she hasn't been there, because she doesn't know much of anything. I mean, that's the only thing we can all agree on. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. I, like you, am exhausted of seeing the Kansas City Chiefs in any playoff situation. The fact that the Bills couldn't beat the Chiefs, that they were, they were was it was it wide right? Was it wide right on the field goal? I couldn't even watch the end of the game. Just disastrous. I don't want to see the Chiefs, and I don't want to see Chelsea, uh, Travis Kelsey, and I don't want to see Taylor Swift. I don't want to see the things. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. And I'm not an anti-Swiftite. I just... I just don't want it. I want no part of it. I just I just want to be left alone from it. But this story about the Taylor Swift concert and the cancellation of hotel rooms, sorry, this is a thing. And the more I stare at this story out of Indianapolis, the more I'm like, what the bloody heck? And what happens? So here's the story. Fox 59 had the story, it goes as follows, that you've got these people across the country who reserved their hotel room and got their tickets to see Taylor Swift. She'll be in Indianapolis for November, right before the election. We'll see if she gets political or not. It's going to be, it's going to be enjoyable, to say the least. It'd bring a lot of money to the city. Great, wonderful, terrific. I love it. They got their tickets. They got their hotel room. One of the places they got their hotel was the Sheridan City Center. Sheridan, nice place for sure. Next thing you know, these fans start getting notices that their reservation was canceled. The hotel, through the reporting, is claiming that we we tried to run the card, the card said insufficient funds, and so we canceled the reservation. The hotel never reached out, And according to these people, there was never anything that showed an attempted charge. They had money in their bank account. And when it was a true credit card, they had a limit that could handle the hotel room. Only one person from the reporting, because all of them started talking in these Taylor Swift chat rooms that exist on Facebook and other places. I don't know. I guess that's the way it is. And they're like, this is happening. One person showed screenshots of a text message where they uh, were told that their reservation had been canceled. 
That's how they found out. They got a text message like, what is this? And and they and they go and, and they call the hotel and it's like, sorry. Sorry, uh, it, 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 it got canceled. Turns out you canceled the, the reservation yourself. So in some cases, the hotel is saying it was insufficient funds. In some cases, they're saying that the fan who booked the hotel canceled the hotel reservation themselves. Now, here's where it, of course, gets into the, oh, no way. And this is where it looks bad for the Sheridan. I want to be clear because I'm not interested in being sued. I am making no accusation. I am sharing the reporting I want to know what happens. I'd love to hear from somebody at the Sheridan because this is bad, super bad PR. If I'm talking about it, this is terrible, terrible PR. The people who can't had their reservation canceled, then were scrambling. You know, they called the hotel. Sorry, nothing we can do for you. And, uh, and we're booked up here. There's a hotel here, a hotel there. But they're much further out from downtown Indianapolis because the Sheridan, you can, it's an, it's an easy hop, skip, and a jump to, to, to Lucas Oil Stadium where the concert is, uh, and it's more money. And then you say to yourself, wait a second, did you say more money? And then you have to wonder, I am not accusing the Sheridan of doing anything. I'm, I, it, for all I know, it was the Russians. I am not making an accusation at all against the Sheridan. What I'm saying is, first, it certainly is odd that a bunch of hotel reservations were canceled when these people claim they have the money. I think we can all agree with that. It's it's a little strange, a little odd. But was their cancellation so it could be rebooked at a higher price. How many of these things occurred? Just these four or five or 40 or 45? Realizing how much higher you could go with the price and getting some more dollars. Look, I'm not the first person who has said it. I am not accusing the Sheridan of it, but it's where the mind goes and they now have to answer the question because, you know... uh, vengeance have no fury like a swifty scorned i don't know is that the expression i'm not very good at my cliches but they're angry taylor's gonna write a song about you sheridan the last thing you want is taylor writing a song about you don't get me wrong it's not gonna be a good song but it's still gonna be a song they gotta answer the question it is super i mean the whole thing is super weird it is super ugly now you're gonna have people checking the reservations Again, as I said, I wonder how many happened. Um, You know, there comes a moment where one has to recognize that maybe, all right, this is what we got. Next time we'll do it better. And, And so I'm not making an accusation. I don't know how many times I could say that. But sometimes people are... Um kind of, uh, you know, trying to make up for a bad mistake. This gets people into the concept of price gouging. And allow me to be clear, there is absolutely no such thing as price gouging. It doesn't exist. It's not real. People like to argue this one with me all the time. They're more than welcome to. I stand committed to the concept. This is different 
than what it is possibly that happened here. I'm not accusing the Sheridan of anything. But let's take it uh, to a a, a no-name approach. If there is some kind of disaster, some kind of catastrophe, or some kind of event, and bottles of water are needed, and I sell the bottles of water, and normally a bottle of water sells for a dollar, and I decide to sell it for two dollars, that is not price gouging. That is supply and demand. There will be more demand for the thing. I have a supply. It becomes more valuable. I charge more for it. Now, one can argue that doing so is immoral. That's absolutely acceptable to argue that it is immoral. That is different than saying it is somehow illegal or you're not allowed to do it. It could be prevented. No, it can't. You have the thing. Somebody else wants the thing. There is now a rush on the thing. So multiple people want the things. Your thing becomes more valuable. Why is it that somehow these rules don't apply because somebody else puts their morality to it and says, how dare you? They can say that and they could be right, but it shouldn't stop you from being able to do it. The only thing that could stop you from doing it is you. Is you. Now, I, 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 will, I will tell you that there are stories of September 11th where you've got the towers going down, you've got dust and debris and mayhem everywhere, and people were trying to help other people and getting them water, and there were coffee shops and others, I don't want to use names, uh, that were charging for the water. And people are like, are you crazy? There's a disaster. I have always contended that the people there who worked that coffee shop, barely understood what was happening around them. I I never once faulted them. They had a job, they sell water, you want to buy the water, you pay for the water. And and I think some people said, how could you not realize, I think for, for a while there, when it comes to September 11th, people didn't realize actually what had happened. And maybe if you were far enough away, but you still saw the debris, you don't quite even understand what happened. You would have no idea to... Uh, in a way to categorize the mayhem. And let's say you did. Does that have something to do with your age or maturity level, etc.? I, I, I look often to find some levels of grace where I can. And in that in that situation, I, I always I always did. That said, I would not as a um, as as a, as a business entity, I would not have charged anybody. It just it would not have come to my mind. But you understand that when you're saying, how dare you charge somebody, that bottle of water still cost the business. Someone took the hit on that bottle of water. And I don't know why we take a look at businesses and are like, you can just take the hit anytime we say so. The abuse, the hatred of the small business owner, the business owner in general, by uh, call it the communist, call it the, the, the leftist, call it the progressive, call it the moral. It's, it's a hatred. It's a real, raw, visceral hatred. And, and, and it's, it's a valueless proposition. These people should be beaten back with sticks. Good Lord, make them stop. If I have a product and that product suddenly becomes more valuable, I have the right to sell it for more. And it's not price gouging. There is no such thing as price gouging. 
You can think it immoral, but there is no such thing as price gouging. And any time the fake Native American uh, Elizabeth Warren or any of these other progressives want to come in screaming and yelling about price gouging and we need legislation, they're always wrong. You should fight back against them because if they can decide that something is price gouging, they can decide that you've made too much profit. They can decide anything in your life. They need to be stopped where they are as the remarkable, ridiculous fools that they are. It is horrific what they want to push on society. That is very different than the idea that I already purchased the thing and then someone believes they can engage in a level of revocation to increase the price. A deal is a deal and you do not go back on it. So let's say I sold the first 20 bottles of water for a buck. I can't go back and now tell them I'm taking the water away. It's two bucks. I can sell the next people a bottle of water for two bucks. If the hotel room was sold for, let's call it $200 a night. I don't Some of them are going for 700 bucks a night. If I sold these people the room for $200 a night, because I wasn't aware that the largest concert uh, that, that's sweeping uh, the, 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 the nation, never mind the world, is coming to town. Well, that's my fault for being a lousy business owner, for not being able to forecast, and for not engaging a higher price. Because nobody would object to the higher price. As a matter of fact, do we ever say that hotels are guilty of price gouging? That you never, you never hear that. But of course, we recognize rationally that when there is an event, so whether concert or or or, or uh, the NBA All Star Game, which is going to be in Indianapolis, or the Super Bowl, which should be in Indianapolis, why in the world am I going to Vegas? Oh, that's right, the sports gambling. We <laughs> we know what time it is, Roger Goodell. Um, the price goes up. Well, of course it does. We're fully aware of this. We accept this. Because supply and demand is real. But if I book the room, you don't get to cancel and then rebook it at a higher rate. That, that is an issue. That's, to, to say it in its most, I think, general sense, a lawyer might disagree with me about the terminology, but agree with me uh, upon the, the, the principle, that's fraud. Or is that theft? Or maybe that's maybe there's another term for it. That's some bull crap, and uh, people have to deal with the consequences. Is that what happened with these with these Swifties? I don't know. And I am not making that accusation, Sheridan. I don't know. Can I, can I get a check from the lawyers? Have I said that enough? Have I been clear? Have I been clear? I'm not making any accusation whatsoever. I'm discussing um, uh, uh, something in, in the pretend, something in the ether. This is a thing. And I, and I think it's going to get looked at. I think it's going to get looked at. And you know the guy who should look at it? And and he w- I don't even think he would believe he should look at it, except I believe he absolutely should look at it. In Indiana, the Attorney General, Todd Rakita. I think you should look at it. This, it's, it's a thing. It's weird, right? It's weird. And maybe it's nothing more than a couple of phone calls and getting an understanding of what's going on. I don't know if it's necessarily a full-on investigation, but it should get looked at because it's it's odd. And I would like to know, was it just the, uh, this handful of, of reservations or are we going to find out that it's more? I want to oh, I want to know so bad. I wanna, again, again, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. All right. 
I think I should stop talking about this now. Before it's too late. Well, you don't want the hotel people coming after you. Bad news, man. Bad news. This is Tony Katz today. Have yet another hit against the Houthi rebels from the U.S. military. This being the United States and the U.K. I keep making the argument that it seems to me that our problem is in the United States, when it comes to elected officials, there is no understanding that we are indeed at war with Iran, because Iran is at war with us. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, a retired United States Army West Point guy. He is our military analyst, as you see him all over your radio and TV dials, but this is the only radio dial and video dial that that matters. Sir, let's get into uh, my basic premise here, um, which is these strikes on Houthi rebels only continue to prove that we're at war with Iran because Iran is at war with us. I want to get to that, but let's start with what it is these strikes have engaged. How did the first strikes or the first seven strikes fail, and what's the purpose here? Well, Tony, first, they haven't failed. They just started this process of trying to restore some kind of deterrence. Um, We don't have any – the Houthis – we're on two different wavelengths. The Houthis want war with the United States. They think of this as a way of punching up. They think this is a way of – of uh, mobilizing their people. Uh, they have thousands of rockets and missiles and all, all equipped by Iran. Uh, we now are telling the Houthis all we're trying to do is restore maritime shipping lanes in the Red Sea. We're, we don't really seem to want any kind of combat with them. But then now in the past 48 hours, we've increased the number of attacks that we've made on their, uh, their facilities. Now, in order for this behavior to change here, we've got to go to a full air campaign. We have to literally go 24 7, 2,000 sorties, something where we, if we really want to restore the Houthis and restore the deterrence that exists there, um, we've got to absolutely you know, step up the amount of attacks that we're going to make here. But for whatever reason, because of the Iranian influence, every time we fire a rocket into Yemen, into a Houthi uh, stronghold, there's likely Iranian soldiers getting killed. And for whatever reason, this administration wants nothing to do with escalating anything with Iran. That that is uh certainly been the story. And this goes back to the Iranian nuclear deal, the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action under the Obama administration, the uh Biden administration insistence of returning uh to uh that that mission, that that theory that somehow Iran can be stopped from getting uh, a, a nuclear weapon, which I, I think we could clearly argue no, they can't. What is the rationale here? For the the deference when it comes to Iran, do you see a strategic possibility from it? No, and and I do think that Iran is behind every single one of these attacks. The bottom line is, each of us have got uh, our allies have existential threat, right? If Israel Israel is our ally here, there's an existential threat between Hamas, Hezbollah, and really Iran as the proxies that they support are all against Israel. But then on the flip side here, um, from Iran's perspective. The Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, that's their allies, and they're, they're having an existential threat. So I think that's where this proxy war is really taking place. Now, I, I agree with you also 
that the, 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 the thinking is that, oh, no, the, the Iranians don't want this to be es- you know, escalated. I just don't think that's the case. You had uh, the naval commander uh, down in, in CENTCOM, I think, come out just today and say that the Iranians' fingerprints are all over what's going on in Houthi, directing those attacks. They have to be. They have to be getting the information from someplace. So as we do an, either an air campaign to go after that material, take away their capability to wage war, and then also some kind of interdiction on supplies coming in from the Persian Gulf. You saw we lost two, sadly, we lost two SEALs in, in that mission. Um, it's a hard, but it's, it's going to be worth the while if we can get the Houthis to stop firing. That mission, uh, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, that mission was stopping ships uh, that are taking arms from Iran and sending them to the Houthi rebels and other places. And that story of two Navy SEALs who, after a 10-day search mission, rescue mission, has turned into a recovery mission, got no real press coverage whatsoever, as if there is a desire to keep this story very, very quiet. But it brings us to this this hard uh, question. Is the United States at war with Iran when we're dealing with the Houthi rebels, when we're dealing with Hamas, which is funded uh, by Iran, and there are American hostages being held by Hamas? Or maybe said differently, is Iran at war with the United States? You know, I, there's so many conflicts taking place right now in the Middle East. Uh, who's shooting at whom? It, it's a list. I've got at least 10 conflicts that uh, are out there. If you check on, on my ex Twitter feed, you'll see that there as I've listed them. Um, I, I think that the Iranians are continuing to try to prod and to try to, uh, you know, whether they're at war with the U.S., I'm not sure that's the case. The Iranian, So the Iranian authoritative regime is trying to survive itself. I, you know, terrorism has now come home to roost there. You saw attacks in Kerman from ISIS-K. Uh, the attacks that uh, the, the Iranians are making now into Pakistan, into the Balachi, into Balochistan. And this is these separatist movements that are looking to overthrow the Iranian government. The Iranians argue that when they when they lob missiles into Erbil, they're attacking the Kurds there, ISIS inside of Syria. So the Iranians themselves now are attacking outside in order to try to preserve what security they have in there. Um, I guess from a perspective, they, they don't think that the United States will do uh, what it does, and that is, you know, kind of crank up the war machine and decide to go to a formal war with Iran um, for whatever reason. At least this administration won't. That would lead to a tremendously oversized regional conflict in the area where where who knows what would happen then. So let me um, continue on this on this conversation about are we at war with Iran or is Iran w- at war with us? John Kirby, who uh, does uh, the work there. Um, which with uh, um, national security uh, was responding to a, a question that was asked of him on Good Morning America. And in this this conversation on Good Morning America, he was asked about some recent attacks on uh, U.S. troops. I am going to do what I can. I was going to try and figure out how to how to play this. I'm not always a, a pro at the at these things just yet. But he was asked about uh, about this, and his his response was was that look, only a very small number of troops have been have been damaged here, uh, and and you know it was just some traumatic brain injuries, nothing serious. He played it off like it was no big deal. U.S. troops getting injured. Never mind being attacked, but being injured to any extent. And here's John Kirby uh, from the National Security Council 
the guy who has been brought in by the administration uh, really to play some kind of uh, um, role model to Corinne Jean-Pierre as White House press secretary, and he's saying it's no big deal. You're a military guy. Is it a big deal? No, it sure is. Um, Americans, uh, you know, fathers and mothers don't send their sons and daughters to go and, and gain these, have these kind of injuries there if they can be prevented. A little bit concerned about that. I think uh, he might want to take that, that back. But it's just all about this administration not wanting to really draw a red line, knowing full well that the Iranians will cross it and then ex- with an expectation of, of us doing something to them. Uh, it, it is not going to change. I don't think that uh, for as long as the Biden administration is in, is in power, uh, they're going to do whatever they can to appease uh, this situation, which is also trying to get Israel to stop what they're doing. They, they still believe in the two-state solution. All of these things that um, are just not real when it comes to the actual situation on the ground. They live in this world of, of how they want the world to be. They want it to be more globalist. They want to have uh, more uh, involvement with these other nations. But at the end of the day, that's not the world that exists right now in the Middle East. It's one of uh, one of power and it's one of uh, who, who's got the more might. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point guy uh, on the X at MAJ for Major Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, M-A-J Mike Lyons on on Twitter. Um, You know, sometimes I I ask the question, how does this end? You know, we've discussed this regarding Ukraine and and one of the uh, great uh, answers uh, we go back to John Kirby. Uh, he's asked the, the, the question about an endgame in Ukraine. He's like, oh, well, it's what we always expected. Here, listen. After last week's meeting on Ukraine here at the White House, uh, the Speaker of the House implied that President Biden uh, did not articulate, uh, articulate a clear strategy for Ukraine. So does the White House have one and what quoting speaker johnson is the end game for ukraine uh okay i i can't uh i can't speak uh to what the the speaker has heard or read or or understood from the countless discussions that we've had with members of congress about ukraine and what we're trying to do here um it's it's been pretty transparent pretty clear we want ukraine to win this war, as the president has said. We want a whole, prosperous, sovereign Ukraine. We want Ukraine's borders, internationally established borders, to be fully recognized by everybody, and that includes Mr. Putin. Uh, Yet, while they're saying this, we also know a major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, that there have been conversations not so clandestine about the fact that you may have to give up something because this is uh, World War One trench warfare. Nobody's giving an inch. Everybody's stuck in the mud. And it could be this way with you losing more and more people for the next 20 years and simply Russia can afford to lose the people and, and, and you can't. So you, it leads us to what is really the end game, the desire here regarding the United States? What, what is it that, you know, how this turns out, how does this end up? Well, now the same question can be asked regarding the Houthis who are thinking that they're in control of the navigable seas and really Iran. How does this end up, or at least what is the conventional wisdom amongst your set regarding how the Biden administration will get either one of these things to end? 
So the Pentagon thinks that an air campaign in Yemen would do, do go a very long way to at least restoring those maritime passageways and stop the Houthis from firing there. And, and the Houthis then would risk losing the control they have of Yemen, right? Yemen is divided in the east and the west, the Sana government, the, uh, the, they're out of power now as, as the you know, classic failed third world country where a non-state actor has taken control of the country. You know, Yemen is one of the poorest countries in the Middle East as well. There's famine. Uh, they've been killing each other there in a civil war since 2014. The Saudis tried to intervene and that didn't work out because Yemen is on their border. Uh, but I do think that the, the Pentagon believes that an air campaign would destroy all their military capability as well as then put the Houthis in risk of even controlling Yemen as it sees. But then the country still just continues to spiral deeper, deeper into depression. So that, that kind of fixes one problem, though. But it doesn't fix the Iranian problem, though, because the Israelis are still going to attack um, Iranian targets inside of Syria. We see them taking out leadership there. We see them taking out leadership inside of Lebanon. So so eventually this does potentially lead to uh, the big problem that is an, an all out Iran Israel conflict uh, where then it becomes from the air, from the sea, the militias, all kinds of things that that becomes a, a very much expanded regional conflict uh, to the, to that end. Uh, of course, you have Iran funding Hamas. You certainly have Iran funding uh, Hezbollah uh, to the north where they engaged a series of rocket attacks and then backed off because uh, uh, Israel was very, very solid. In levels of response, how many fronts can Israel actually fight at one time before the United States says we're involved or, well, this is your problem? Yeah, that's a great question. I think what they'll do is watch to see how Israel is doing across those fronts. And the United States will act as a tripwire at some point if they think, um, you know, it's kind of like a broken arrow scenario where, if they're beginning to be overrun, the capital or so, the United States then gets involved indirectly there. No troops or anything like that on the ground, uh, but this was that kind of fallacy of air power will solve that problem. You know, the Iranians won't fight Israel through their Republican Guard units. They'll use the, you know, anywhere from 125,000, 150,000 Shia militia groups that exist in Syria, inside of Iraq, uh, Hezbollah, Hamas, and they'll try to mobilize them from there. And they and they are. They have been surrounded by their enemies since their inception in 1948. But uh, I think that's the, that's where the United States gets involved in a broken arrow situation where Israel is about to be overrun. Could you quickly uh, define broken arrow? Well, that's a situation where U.S. forces, it's a, you know, kind of an old school method where if you if you give that command over the radio, it means every single air asset, every single asset available must respond to U.S. forces about to be overrun. You saw it took place, you know, back uh, in the Vietnam era and the like uh, with, with regard to um, units uh, that were about to be overrun. Everybody basically stops what they're doing, clears their desks and gets what they can, gets any indirect fire to help. There, so I think I think that that's really what they're on standby for. You have a carrier group that's there, the destroyers, as well as the aircraft, ready to go. Should that be the case? Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, M A J Mike Lyons, L Y O N S. Major Mike Lyons on the Twitter box. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us, be a part of what we're doing. Much more to get to. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz today. So there is a Russian tennis player named Mira Andreeva. 
I mean, referred to in the article as a prodigy. And I'm like, oh, okay, she's a prodigy. She's really good at, at tennis. That's why people are paying attention to her, not why they are paying attention to her. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. They're paying attention to her at the Australian Open uh, because she has bite marks on her arm. She was seen with a bite mark on her arm. Uh, Did she bite herself? Did somebody else bite her? Is this a way she kind of psychs herself up? I don't have any answer to that. All I know is, well, that's a thing. And one of those moments where I think people are absolutely right to say, hey, what's going on right here? Of course, the primary is taking place All eyes on New Hampshire. But right now, there's nothing that signals to me that anything is going to be any different than was already assumed. I keep stating that the question is going to be, by how much? If we are arguing what is exceeding expectations, because all politics... All politics are an expectations game. Always has been, always will be. All Always expectations. So if Trump's ahead by the 17 to 19, yes, the latest Real Clear Politics says 19, but uh, that new poll came out. So I'm saying 17 to 19, we're fine. Remember, Trump was ahead, uh, Was we were told, uh, has 52.5% in the polling and he won, and he got fifty-one percent of the vote. I still consider that a- a- accurate polling. I would consider that accurate. Um, so let's let's just call it seventeen, just for the sake of the conversation. If Trump wins by fifteen, that's fine. If Trump wins by five, uh, that's a that's that's an opportunity for Nikki Haley. Find everything. At TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z, TonyKatz.com, and find, uh, yeah, I said that. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. I got it right. I'll catch you tomorrow, everyone. Take care.